You're listening to Leafs Lunch with Julia Tusheri and Michael DeStefano on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. Long shot by Giordano is blocked. The rebound scores. Justin Hall centered for Tavares. A shot he scores. Mitch Marner makes a clever little move and put it right on John Tavares' stick. Deflects in front of the goal. They backhanded into the net. Kerfoot shorthanded. Leafs three, Blues one. Back it goes for Holmberg and on goal. Rebound in front of the net. They score. Yardcrox stuffs it in past Bennington. Nylander breaking. Nylander with a breakaway game on the stick. Scores! Wee Willie Nylander wins the game in overtime. The Leafs' first overtime win on the road this season. Welcome to Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050. I'm Mike DiStefano, and I've got Jonas Siegel of The Athletic filled in for Julia Tashiri today, who's still out on the World Juniors beat. We'll also catch up with a couple other guys on the beat. Craig Button, who's down in the Moncton, he'll join us in about five minutes. Scott Wheeler join us in about an hour, who's up in Halifax. But uh, what, a, what a game last night coming off of the Christmas holiday, Jonas. Yeah, you never know what those games are going to be like when teams haven't played or practiced or done anything for a few days, and it was kind of like that. Like, it wasn't yeah. a great game. It was choppy, right? Yeah, like, I, I would agree. It's it's one where, you know, the, the, as a fan, I think we, we enjoyed it because there were some mistakes, which led to some offense, and there was entertainment all around, and there were some unlikely goal scorers, Justin Hall, Alex Kerfoot, who's been snake-bitten. Um, but ultimately, it's one that I'm sure Sheldon Keefe and, and uh, Craig Berube probably are looking at that one and saying, there's some, there's going to be some, some video from this game. Well, I think you probably go into that game if you're a coach with kind of low expectations. Like Sheldon yeah. Keefe talked about it after the game. Like he wasn't really going to take too much out of it just because of that. Like he expects everything to be a little bit sharp. Like they, they had no practice, just a morning skate, I think, yeah. before they play. St. Louis is, has been up and down, but a pretty good team. I mean, you're just happy to get the points and kind of move on. This is like not the best road trip. Like it's not easy to come out of the, the break with like a three game trip. Arizona is obviously what they are. And then Colorado, like it's not, it's not great. Um, and they just keep doing this. Like we talked about this last week. Like they just keep stacking up points like they i think this is 23 of 26 games they've got a point so that's they just take the points and run right well boston left a point on the table last night against ottawa so it's been hard to you know make up ground in this divisional race just because they keep winning every single night but you get the full two points by winning in overtime and then our pals up uh, up the highway a little bit there in ottawa end up stealing one off of off of boston so that's good but the fact that toronto now you look at it it's back-to-back games where they've gone into into overtime the one a couple weeks back against calgary and now this one against st louis where they've been able to win that three on three after was it five straight overtime outings where they were the team that was getting scored on there and, and usually pretty early and, and often. Um, but they've kind of switched things up. They've, they've gone to more of, you know, like David Camp is up there starting. They're having two defenders out there at times. And then they're getting their big boys going. And last night, the goal that William Melander scored um, was outstanding. Like that was, 
really something where you could just tell that, uh, you know, clearly Tarasenko didn't have his full legs on that one, but the powerful strides that Nylander took to just create that separation to allow himself to go in all alone on Jordan Bennington and then, you know, forehand, backhand shelf, like, it was just an outstanding. I don't think there's another player on Toronto I feel more comfortable on a breakaway than William Nylander. Yeah, it's funny. Like you, you he gets a breakaway and you think he's going to score, but you know what yeah. that goal represented to me is like that's kind of an encapsulation of his growth the last few years. Like the whole play, you know, like the persistence, the determination, and then obviously the skill. Like it's everything you kind of want from William Nylander packed into one highlight. But let me ask you, what did you think of their, or what have you thought of their overtime strategy of starting? And like they, their overtime strategy, even, you know, last night starting two defensemen, which you never ever see in overtime. No, you really don't. And I actually like it because what, what has happened is typically if they don't win the faceoff draw, then they're stuck defending. And, you know, before it was the typical starters you would see, it was uh, Matthews, Marner, and, and Morgan Riley, right? So, you know, sure, I guess Morgan Riley can hold his own in a way, so can Kim Mitch Marner. But I do prefer the fact that you have – it's kind of a safety blanket, I guess, if you're starting with camp and a couple of defenders back there, especially DJ Brody, whereas if you do lose that opening draw – you're you're not scrambling. You, you you have some defensively responsible guys back there. And if you win, or once you get possession, then you get your big boys out there in the way that they have done over the last little bit. And I think Sheldon Keefe talked about that last night, where you know it was very evident that because of the way that they kind of started the game, once Willie got on the ice, he was the one with fresh legs, and Tarasenko, who had already been out there for an extended period of time, just didn't quite. And that's what allowed him to kind of pull away and have that opportunity. See, I'm not sure I'm with you. I'm not sure I love it. I mean, Randy Carlisle back in the day used to do this. He used to start like Jay McClement at the start of overtime, and he would take a lot of heat, and people didn't understand. Like, why are you starting Jay McClement? Like, you're never going to win the game. And that's – I sort of feel that way. Like, I really don't – I guess I don't know what the purpose is. Like, you're just kind of trying to hold serve to start the game. And, like, I know you're talking about Marner and Matthews. Marner and Matthews are like Selkie Trophy-like defenders – so, like, I guess I just don't know what you're gaining. Like, you're just gaining a shift where you don't get scored on, but you're also never going to score if you start David Camp, TJ Brody, and, and Timothy Logren. And yet, like, obviously it works out. I, I just would rather – I mean, I get it. They, I think it was six straight in overtime that they had lost before, so I get you need to change something. Well, I'm just not sure is. that this is this – I don't know. This is not it for me. I don't know if this is going to be something we see going forward or if this is, you know, their new solution, but it worked last time, right? They made that change. They consciously decided, okay, we're going to start this way and, you know, hopefully it can turn out. And then afterwards, they won that game. And so they said, well, let's see if we can do it again. Because then they didn't really have another play, another overtime game for, you know, a few nights. And so they said, all right, let's try it one more time. And, and it worked again. So I would assume that. They'll probably keep going to the well here with this idea um, up until it doesn't work, right? Until they get scored on, and then they'll probably go back and revert to, to the way things used to be. But what I do like, and I remember talking about this, was that the first game that they had lost to the New Jersey Devils in overtime, you know, it was a hard-fought game that they lost 3-2, and it was the one where uh, Hughes took it to the net, and I think Sharon Govich ended it. Um, what I thought, potentially, instead of it being Matthews, Marner, and Riley, well, what if instead you do still have that safety blank? You make it Matthews, Marner, and TJ Brody. So not necessarily do you have to go full-on start David Camp, but still have that reliable defenseman on the back end, whether it's, again, Riley, or um, whether if it's 
uh, am I blanking TJ Brody or potentially a Mark Giordano? I mean, do you want Hall out there on three and three? I'm not, you know, 100% sold on that one. But but Gio or 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 Brody or something like that. And then you also have your your offensive guys on the other side. I'm okay with that. I mean, let's let's be honest. Like three on three, it's kind of it's stupid. Like overtime is dumb. Like it's just kind of like I don't know. I don't take too much from it. Obviously, it has no impact on the playoffs. Right. I don't know. It wow. is what it is. Get get the point. However, you have to get the point. I, I mean, whatever. Like the, it, yeah. the problem is like obviously you, you, we mentioned those games before this season. Like it costs them points, right? Like the giveaways at key times and overtime has cost them points this year. I don't know what Boston's overtime record is, but I I would have to guess it it's better. Probably strong. <laughs> Although they, they probably they haven't gone to overtime games. all that much. I'm looking at it. Their their shootout overtime record is. Oh, this is including shootouts two and three. So. Oh, that's actually not strong. And they lost in the shootout last night, so I guess mm-hmm. they were 500 in those games post-regulation uh, last night. Uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts, though, on Ilya Samsonov and, and where you're at with him. I mean, I don't think there's anyone who's necessarily concerned about what's going on here, thinking that this is a, a Jack Campbell 2.0 situation. But, you know, a bit of a three-game blip here. You know, he's allowed three or more goals in his last three starts, got like an 850 save percentage over the course of those last three starts. Um, you know, where, where are you at with, with Samsonov and his performances of late? I just want to correct myself before I get to Samsonov. Boston is 3-0 and in overtime this year. Just I was say, putting that, that out there. That, so they've, that, they've that, lost some shootouts. But anyway, and Toronto is 3-6 and six in overtime. Um, Samsonov, I mean, this is kind of expected a little bit. Like, he wasn't going to be a 930 goalie all season. Yeah. He also does have this history where he starts – every season really, really, really strong, at least in terms of record. And then he kind of comes back to earth a little bit, and that was going to happen, like, no matter who he is. Like, you start out with 937 in the first seven or eight starts, and you're going to come back down to earth. Like, he just looked he looked a little like he was swimming in his net a little bit. He looked shaky. The goals he was giving up are not goals. You're kind of like, uh. And obviously, like, for the first couple months of the year, there weren't a lot of goals where you're like, man, that can't go in. And now those are starting to creep in, and I I, I kind of wonder how this next little stretch is going to go for Samsonov and for for Matt Murray because he's kind of come back to earth a little bit. You just kind of want level, right? Like you you don't expect nine thirty, you just don't want eight ninety. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is you want at least what was league average is like roughly nine oh seven nine. 10-ish between that would be perfect. And and this team is always, I mean, coming into the year, this team needed league average goaltending to be fine. Like, that's all this team needs is league average goaltending, and their offense can support it. I mean, although they're only, you know, they've lost only one game these last three starts by Samsonov, it's because that offense has picked it up around them, right? They had four goals in Philly. They had four, five goals last night in St. Louis, despite the struggles that we're seeing at Ilya Samsonov. Um, we're we're going to get Craig Button on in, in a few moments. Maybe we'll try. Maybe let's do some uh, breakdown last night's game. Why don't we get some stay or go? Well, I suppose we should get going. All right, everybody, stay right where you are. Get the hell out of here. No, you stay here. You got to get going, so go. I'm sorry you came. Time now for stay. Nobody got a gun to your head. Or go. I'll be back. All right, time for some stay or go coming off of last night's 5-4 win against the St. Louis Blues. 
Uh, Jonas, I'll let you start. What's something you want to see stay? No, I think you should start because my a couple of mine are pretty deep cuts, and I don't think you want to start okay. with like the deep cut. You want to start with like the hits, right? I love the deep cuts, though. I'll be honest. I love the deep cuts. But what sure, do you think I'll, my I'll deep cut is? And... Wait, what do you think mine is? I honestly have no idea what okay, the that's deep good. cut could possibly be. Okay, like to good. be honest, I, I don't. So we'll we'll this is the anticipation. We'll 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 <laughs> save it for for a couple of minutes here. Uh, but for me, it's like, it's like the, the depth scoring, you know, on, on a night where your big boys didn't necessarily fill the net, as we've seen in the past. Uh, you got that contribution from the secondary scorers. You got Kerfoot who scored a goal, um, you know, killing off a penalty. You got Yarncroft who was able to score. And then Justin Hall, who also scored a goal there. So some unlikely goal scorers, but depth scoring, it's, it's what you need, ultimately. Like, some nights your, your big boys just aren't going to be able to score They'll get shut down from the opposition, and you got to be able to find some goal scoring in other ways. And last night, I thought that they were able to do that. So that was one thing that I wanted to see stay. That top line was just so dominant last night. They had so many good looks and opportunities. You know, I thought Austin Matthews was going to score. I thought he had many chances to put the puck in the back of the net. Finally, William Nylander does it in overtime. But I thought at five on five, I mean, that that line was was pure dominant. Um, six high danger chances to just one against in their 15 or so minutes at five on five. So, you know, that line, they could just keep it rolling. They were hot right before the streak or right before Christmas break, and they picked it up here in St. Louis. And then just Sheldon Keith's fire behind the bench. You know, last night, I thought that he was out there. He was giving it to the official. Like, Wes McCauley got an earful from Sheldon Keith last night, whether it was, you know, missing uh, an interference call or that high stick on Zach Aston Reese, which was very clearly a, a high stick and should have been a four-minute penalty at you know the end of the game, rather. Uh, but just the fire they showed behind the bench for it being the first game back from Christmas break, um, I, I, I like that. I like the fire in his belly. Now, did he? wasn't he wrong about the goalie interference? The interference, he was wrong. But either way, I just Do you like apologize after that? that? Do you think? so animated. No, you don't apologize. Why would you apologize? I don't know. Like He was blatantly wrong. There was literally no interference. But anyways, to your point, I think what's interesting on your, your stays, I think you look ahead to the playoffs, and, and I think that's going to be a central question, is do they have enough depth scoring? Like, Can they get enough from those third yeah. and fourth lines offensively? Obviously, Yarncroft is playing on the second line right now. We'll see where that sorts itself out. Um, that top line, you mentioned it. They're just cooking right now. Like they kind of look like oh, yeah. the way Marner Matthews Bunting looked last year, where the chemistry is just like they're just so in sync with each other. Matthews and Neilander really look a lot like they did early in their careers when they played together a lot. Like they, they just seem to know where the other is going to be. They find each other. Neilander is, is really kind of. Do you think he's underrated as a passer a little bit? Like the way he sees the ice, maybe is probably not talked about. Like he has unbelievable vision obviously he plays with one of the best passers in the league in Marner so maybe that gets glossed over a little bit and obviously he's scoring a lot this year but he's an awesome passer and just the way he sees the ice yeah I, I think that it's not the first thing that we think of when we talk about William Nylander and his playmaking we usually talk about you know the goal scoring and the skill level um, but yeah he can really thread thread the needle I mean he's done that a few times where he set up guys whether if it's at five on five or on the power play um, but I, I mean, what we're seeing out of out of Nylander, I think, like he's just unlocked a, a whole new level to himself this year, and it just keeps going. I think it's what four goals, four games with a goal in, in a row. So 
Um, you know, the guy just seems to be good for a goal a night at this point. It's it's unbelievable what he's been able to do. Team high, 21 goals. Uh, all right, Jonas, I've waited long enough. i got to hear these deep cuts. What what are the deep cuts you want to stay here for Toronto? Okay, so here's the first one. Confident Alex Kerfoot, because I, I think what's what was interesting ah. to me about him last night, and even over the last little stretch when he's, you know, he had that start to the season where he had one goal in like the first 20, 30 games, whatever it was. You're starting to see now him shoot confidently and shoot to score and not shoot reluctantly, shoot hesitantly. Like, even after he scores that, that shorthanded goal, which is, is all Cali Arncroft. Like, he doesn't really do that much on that goal. But after you start to see Kerfoot, he had a couple really good looks where he, he was trying to score and shooting to score. And I think that's really important for him. He's a confidence guy. Like, obviously confidence is important for every player, but I think him in particular, you can kind of feel it when he's he's not confident, and you can feel it especially when he's shooting the puck or not shooting the puck. And right now, I think because the goals have started to go in, he's starting to shoot a little bit more to score, confident. He had four shots last night. There are not, there aren't a lot of games where you see him get four shots and where you, you see him legitimately have, I don't know, two or three like really good looks. So I think that's important for him. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good thing to point out because Kerfoot's a guy who, I mean, he's taken a lot of flack over the first couple of months of the season. And and was it the was it the game against Philly or was it last night where him and Camp had the two on one opportunity there? I think it was what I think it was against Philly actually. So you know we've seen him and Camp start to build some chemistry here. I actually really like that third line of Kerfoot, Camp, and Pierre Engvall. I think that they are doing a lot of really good things in both on both sides of the ice defensively and offensively. Um, but last night, as you mentioned, just getting a goal, shorthanded goal, providing that secondary offense and shooting to score is something that certainly I think we want to see stay out of, out of Alex Kerfoot. Do uh, you had another deep cut stay? Deep cut number two. Just more of this like safety element from Pontus Holmberg. I think he's such an interesting depth piece as you look ahead yeah. to the playoffs, like all I'm doing basically when I watch him and thinking about him and looking at his numbers and everything like that is, can this guy be on the ice in a playoff series? That's all I'm thinking about. And I'm sure, like, I know Sheldon Keefe is thinking the same thing. Like, as he evaluates him, as he tests him, is this a guy who can play in the playoffs? And I think the more you watch him and the more you, you see from him, you're starting to lean to yes. Like, he, he just, there's just yeah. something about him. He's not phased. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes, as Sheldon Keefe is pointing out. And I don't know, like, you start to look ahead to what their fourth line could be in the playoffs. Obviously, a lot can change. But he's starting to feel like someone, you can't quite write his name in pen yet, but the pencil, like, I'm starting to, like, dig it in, like, I'm writing it, you know, like, I'm I'm not ready to erase it. I, he's he's building confidence, yeah. I think, that way for me. Yeah, I, I, I would totally agree with that. I, I think, like, if the playoffs were to start tomorrow, I believe he would be your fourth line center. I mean, he, he's and even last night, you just look at the 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 play he made on the on the Cali Arncroft goal. I mean, so he's he's responsible on his own end, and then he's starting to make some things happen um, offensively as well. You know, he he had an assist the other night against Philly, and then that one just take the puck hard to the net, right? Put the shoulder down, take it to the net, and then Arncroft able to pounce on uh, on on a rebound there and got a fortuitous bounce. I guess you could say on that stuff wraparound attempt, whatever you want to call that. I guess it wasn't a wraparound, but a little stuffing at the side of the net there. But that really, again, was was thanks to 
Uh, I was going to say Par Lindholm again. I don't know why I keep wanting to say Par Lindholm. I think it's because, like, again, it's it's just the Swedish factor there. But uh, Pontus Holmberg, you know, doing a lot of really good things. Um, something that I want to see go from last night's game. I, I mean, the, the highs, like, the officiating last night wasn't terrific, right? So I think just, like, kind of poor officiating in general. There there, there was a, a, a missed interference call in third period. Somebody put a little Justin Hall-like pick on uh, Jordy Ben in the offensive end um, or in the defensive zone. I think that was a missed call last night. And obviously the high stick on Zach Aston Reese was just brutal. I mean, that's clearly a, a stick lift that catches him right in the teeth, and the guy was bleeding from the mouth. Should have been a four-minute penalty, and that entirely was, was missed. And that game shouldn't have even had to go to overtime. It should have got the penalty, the power play, and probably could have had a really good opportunity to score but, uh, you know, it's, it's one that the referees missed last night. I thought that they were kind of, you know, a little inconsistent. They, too, were a little slow at the gate coming out of the Christmas break. I don't like referee slander. I think that's such a hard job, and I think, I think you nip, I think was, nitpick that, so that much. Was that was, a, that a was hard. That's well, a miscall. 100%. Call. Like, uh, stuff like, you know, some tripping, some, whatever. That is what it is. But when you got a guy who blatantly comes up and whacks a dude in the mouth and he's gushing blood, that is pretty evident that there was very clearly a high stick there. Very Were there clear. any missed calls on the Blues, do you think? Like, do you think the probably. Blues? Probably, right? I, I didn't say just for the Toronto. I'm just saying the officiating in general, you know, they missed a lot last night, probably on both sides. I don't know. All right, I'll, I'll take it. I'll, I'll give you that. I'm going to go, my answer for this is what we've seen from Samsonov of late. Like, they, this is this is worse than, like, obviously, I, I think he'll be. Like, he's been under 900, I think, his last three starts, and he was, like, he'd come off back-to-back shutouts before that. So, like, he was due to kind of come back to earth. They just kind of need, like, what you mentioned before. They just need steady. Nothing, like, amazing. Like, you mentioned league average. League average this year in goal it's just 905. Like, it's not anything special. And those guys, Murray, Samsonov, are kind of a ways from that. Um, so they just need him to kind of find his level again. Um, I'm curious to see how they kind of start divvying up the starts between him and, and Samsonov. I would assume Murray starts the Arizona game, and or maybe yeah. not. I don't know. Like, maybe they I come back with Samsonov. But... I believe it was announced that Murray's getting that start tomorrow. Okay. But, um, yeah, I. I... The thing with Samsonov, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I was going back and forth with uh, with Frank Corrado on this actually, because he had noticed that you know when he allowed the goal last night, the first goal of the game, um, you know, which was obviously just you know him taking a spill and one that he would probably want back, but it it, it seemed to maybe have, have affected his demeanor, and in a way, feels like sometimes Samsonov over the last couple of games. Once he allows kind of a fluky goal, it, it he, he's a guy who wears it on his wears it on his sleeve in a way, and you can tell that okay, he's not in the right mindset that he was in prior, and that those goals can affect him. Are you seeing some similarities um, when you when you're looking at Samsonov after maybe a couple of leaky goals? Yeah, you know what? I, I was watching and, and thinking if I was St. Louis, I would just be pelting everything at the net because it yeah. didn't feel like he was going to make that save. And you look at the end of the night, he gives up four. He, he It felt like he could have given up more. He just didn't look comfortable. You know what I mean? And at some point, I mean, that's going to happen. Like, it's such a long year, and that's why goaltending is such a difficult thing to evaluate and, and why I was not ready to get ahead of myself with the way the goaltending started just because that wasn't going to be sustainable, and I... 
need to see this play out over the entire season. They they just need these guys to be competent, just not give up some of the goals that he gave up last night. But yeah, like you could see it. He just looked like he was shaky in his net, and he he admitted that after the game, and he mentioned the ice wasn't great, and he mentioned like the break, and you'd imagine if if a break is difficult on anyone, it's got to be the goalie most of all, right? right? Well, so here's something that I talked a lot about when Samson came back from the injury, and it was the first time we were going to see this tandem at play, because you know, Matt Murray gets injured after the first game, and then it was Samsonov's net, and he ran with it. And then Samsonov gets hurt, and then Murray comes back, and then it was his net for a while, and he had run with it. And now is back to finally seeing that tandem, and it's been a few weeks here. And w- because they haven't been able to establish a rhythm by playing consecutive games uh, for like a couple weeks, I-, I was curious to see if that would impact their level of play. I clearly wasn't expecting them to be 930 goaltenders all season long, but I was curious that could this affect them if they get out of rhythm? Um, could it get into their psyche where, oh, if I allow one bad goal, is that going to cost me a start tomorrow or something like that? So that was my, not my worry, but my I was curious to see how this 10 would work in that aspect. And so far, kind of seems like maybe it might be impacting Ilya Samsonov. It's still early, and, and um, there's no alarms that are being sounded. But it's now three straight games where it's like, okay, if he allows a bad goal, is it getting in his head like, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to lose the net here? I think it's a great point, and I think that's one of the things that makes it difficult to run a tandem effectively is like you're you're kind of keeping both goalies in not, on their toes. On like, their toes, like, and, and like you mentioned, like, back-to-back starts like how do you how do you keep both guys rolling how do you keep both guys feeling good I think it's hard like I don't think tandems are I know we like it's it's a thing in the NHL like you want to have two goalies who can play and I get it I just don't think it's always easy um, to kind of keep both guys in in an optimal state obviously health is the biggest thing like if they have to keep rotating these guys and both guys can stay healthy I mean, who cares? Like, the, this is all about the playoffs and getting these guys to be healthy yeah. and in their best state for the playoffs. And we'll see what ends up happening in the playoffs. Like, which goalie has emerged at that point to take the net? Yeah, I, I don't subscribe to tandem in the playoffs, though. Which oh, I've gosh, heard a lot no. of people say. Yeah. I, I've heard so many people say, "Well, they're going to have it's going to be a tandem in the playoffs." Now they got to pick one and run with it. That that's my belief system, at least when it comes to the playoffs. You got to figure it out, and I mean, they did bring in one guy in particular because of how well he plays in the playoffs and that Stanley Cup caliber play, and that wasn't the guy who was in goal last night. So we'll see what happens. Either way, the last three games, yeah, he's got an eight fifty two save percentage, but he's got a two and one record. So they're still winning hockey games, and that will propel them closer and closer to uh, getting a playoff spot, up to fifty points. They got to the fifty point plateau. With the win last night, the Toronto Maple Leafs did. All right, uh, Jonas, good stuff. On the other side, well, uh, well, we can get back into what's going on with the Maple Leafs, but then also uh, the World Juniors, uh, Canada, five-two loss to Czechia on Boxing Day. They'll have a chance to get back on track against Germany tonight. Listen to that game here on TSN 1050. But to join us, stop talk about all things World Juniors. Uh, Craig Button is going to come on the show after the break. I'm Mike DiStefano with Jonas Siegel of The Athletic. This is the Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050. Matthews has done it again! Now, back to Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. 
your duds in order Cause we're bound to cross the water Heave away, me jollies, heave away Lease busters will get you out of your car at least today. It's as easy as A piece of cake, avoid penalties and early termination fees. Visit leasebusters.com. Heave Away by the Fables was the song chosen. This one here. Let it play a little bit, Josh. Let it play underneath a little bit here. Jonas Siegel with The Athletic is here with me in place of Judith Sherry, who's actually out in Halifax for the World Junior Championships. Jonas, this is the goal song that was selected for Team Canada at the World Junior Championships. Is this a yay or a nay from you? I love it. It's great, isn't it? Like, it, it really gets in touch. Right, we, can, we, can, we can bring it down now, Josh. It really does get in touch with the, the East Coast roots, right? Like, that's, I think it's a Newfoundland band, the Fables. You know, it's out east in the Atlantic, Canada. So it, it, it makes sense. And, I mean, someone scores a goal, it's like, heave away, and you're up dancing. You know, it wouldn't have been hilarious, though, if the Maple Leafs made that their goal song. Everyone's were expecting something, right? Like, instead of what it's been for the last 17 years. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they score, and the heave away comes and plays. What would your what would your reaction have been if it was the Leafs' new goal song this year? I would be all for that. What do you think their goal song should be? Like, are you, are you up with the goal song, down with the goal song? What do you think? I don't hate... The goal song currently, like, I, I do think that, you know, the hollowed out song gets your, your hips moving a little bit. Like, I don't hate it. I would welcome a new song, however. I, I, I think most people would. Um, I've come on this show, and I have been a big advocate for uh, DMX up in here. I'm <laughs> advocate for that. That's yeah. never going to happen. You're Why not? Gonna, not? They're not going to have DMX as the goal song. Come on. Get oh, real. It'd be outstanding, though. Like, up in it. It gets everyone moving and grooving. And then the, there's that one part where it goes, woo. You get the whole arena yelling, woo, at the same time. It'd be outstanding. I like personalized goal songs myself. I think that would be really fun. Yeah. Who does that right now? I think Buffalo. I think Florida does. Florida does it. Washington did that. Did it for a game. I don't know if they still do it. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a couple of teams out there that that have gone the personalized route. I think I want to say is it Alex Tuck? Somebody on Buffalo does have up in here as their personalized goal song, and I want them to score like a million goals this year. Can I ask you an unrelated question? Absolutely. So you mentioned the Leafs have 50 points. That puts them, I believe, over last year's pace. Do you think this team is better than last year's team? The same? A little bit worse? Where where you at? Um, you know, I, I, I think this is a better team than it was a year ago. I think the goaltending is a little bit more stable in the guys that you have. I think last season, you look, they had 880 goaltending from new years onward and still rattle off 115 points i would fully expect for the tandem that they have now to give you better goaltending than that will it result in more points maybe not but i think overall i feel better and stronger that the goaltending is 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 clearly better than it was a season ago so i'm not and, sure you can say that yet what? because if you had gone to last year at this point in the season no their goaltending was, was better already no, Campbell was already starting to go downhill early December. Yeah, but they played two weeks in December. They were off at December 14, right? They had that the That's break true. to the season. Come on. But there were signs, you know, little chinks in the armor. Like, okay, what's going on with this guy? Which is funny because I remember him legitimately being, like, the odds-on Vesna favorite at Christmas break. 
last year. I do mm-hmm. recall having those conversations and seeing him like up on FanDuel as the Vesna favorite and then came back from the new year and got a shutout actually in the first game against the Ottawa Senators and then from there on out was an 888 goaltender the rest of the way and clearly we know how it ended up and, and how it's gone for him over in, in Edmonton. But I don't know, I, I just, maybe I'm a fool for having a little bit more faith in the tandem that's out there right now, but I think that the way that they're playing defensively is also helping in a way too, right? It's not just the goalies, it's the way that the whole team is performing defensively. Five men in, um, in behind the goal line. We were chatting with Carlo, I guess before the holiday, and you know one of the things that he talked about for how the offense, uh, like the players offensively, the forwards, how they're helping defensemen and how they're really helping this team in the breakout and, and why they've been able to play at a faster pace. It's not necessarily that the five guys in below the hash marks are defending better. It's that it allows them for a quicker and more safe outlet for the breakout, which limits down uh, turnovers and which has clearly helped this team. They've cut down on turnovers a lot from when you were looking at in October. So using, you know, a quick five-foot pass to William Nylander as opposed to a 25-foot stretch pass trying to catch him at the blue line, well, now all of a sudden he's at the face-off dot, way less of of a a risky pass, and it allows them to kind of turn upward and, and go and provide some offense, turning that defense into offense. I think that's right, and I think if I was going to answer why they might be better, I'm I'm not there yet. It's their defense, and I think it's you look at the growth from Lilligren, you look at the growth from Sandine. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at their their depth chart now and some of the injuries. So Jake Muzzin has missed 31 games. Morgan Riley has missed the last 15. T.J. Brody missed 12. And you think like the guys that they've had playing prominent roles on D and and some of the growth that we've seen from them, that's a really good sign. Uh, that you can hand Sandine and Logan more difficult minutes and they can perform. And I think you look back to last year, like a lot of last year was Matthews and Marner, especially Marner in the second half. Like Matthews was scoring basically every game, it felt like. Yeah. And he was like just so far away. Like, I mean, he won the Hart Trophy. And now it feels like it's 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 a lot more... I don't know if balance is the right word, but like they're getting contributions. Like you mentioned some of the depth scoring. Like they're just kind of winning games in a lot of different ways, and it's not just, like, one guy pulling him along. Like, even Marner during that point streak, he was doing a lot, obviously, in all situations, but it wasn't, like, just Marner. And even you looked at, like, some of the numbers that he put up during that streak, it wasn't he like he had, you know what I mean? Like, it one wasn't like that. Game. One goal right. in the game. Right, exactly. So, I think that's yeah. positive. No, I, absolutely. Like, you can look at it in all three phases and say that what we've seen to this point in comparison to last year I think they're better. I think Austin Matthews maybe, weirdly, is the one guy who is comparative to last season underperforming. But when you look at everybody else on this roster, anyone of, I guess, consequence, it seems like they're doing better. You've got John Tavares, who's clearly having a better season than did a year ago. William Nylander's reaching new heights that he's never hit before. I think that clearly makes his team better. He's playing more consistent in his own end, which has always been a big criticism of Nylander's game. Um, and then just the consistency night in, night out from him as well. And you've got Mitch Marner, who just went on that huge tear, and every night seems like he's making things happen. Um, he's also playing extremely responsibly in his own end, making things happen shorthanded. You've got David Camp. Now you have Kerfoot, who's finally starting to 
you know, put some numbers up. You've got Callie Yarncroft, who's got, I think, five points in his three games since returning from injuries, sitting on that second line. So you're starting to see this team. Um, I think you, you, you said it right. They're starting to balance, and you're seeing a lot of positive things happening for this group. I mean, their their penalty kill has been a lot better than it was during a stretch there. I think the power play still could be better. I think Morgan Riley, who uh, I think the update there was both Riley and Sandine are actually on the trip and are considered day-to-day. Do you have any um, any thoughts on maybe when we'll see those guys? Because I think once Riley comes back, I think that should help that power play, which has struggled since he left, and now they're trying this five-forward unit, which – mixed bag i guess you could say uh but if riley returns i mean that power play could go back to being one of the top in the league well and you're getting back the guy who eats the most minutes for you on your team and you mentioned the power play i think that's a big factor i think it'll be interesting once they get those guys back what they decide to do with their group on defense because obviously riley plays with who when he comes back and rasmus sandin obviously is going to get back in the lineup like they've got more depth, I think, if you want to add something else to, to be considered as far as this year to last year. Yeah. Like, Connor Timmons now, like, it's it's early. Like, he hasn't played a lot of games, but, like, he looks like he's an NHL player, and he's someone who can help you. And now you get Sandy back, you get Riley back, and suddenly he's, I'm odd certain, the, the odd man out. Like, Jordy Ben's going to come out when when Sandy comes back, and, and I would assume that, that Timmons comes out when Riley comes back, and then it's like, well, who do you play with who? Do you play Riley with Brody? Because Giordano and Hall have worked so well together, like they've got more options now because some of these guys have stepped up um, in their absences. Yeah, absolutely. I I think so. I was kind of toying with this in my head uh, last night as well when I heard that Sandy and Riley were on the horizon to return to the lineup, and I'm thinking, okay, well, it would probably just make most sense to put Morgan Riley and and TJ Brody back together because Riley's always played best when he has that safety blanket and, and Brody with him and. Whoever plays with Brody seems to always play really well, realistically. But I've been thoroughly impressed with Giordano and Justin Hall and the way that they've been able to play. And when you bring back Morgan Riley, it even softens their minutes even more, which should help them also. So I think that remains intact. And they've got the two Swedish kids in Timothy Lilligren and Rasmus Sandin. And I'm not saying that because I believe you know, Geo and Hall are the second pair, and then those Swedish kids are the third pair. I mean, that's interchangeable. You can make either one of those a second pair, you know, depending on matchup dependent, you could put them out there, you know, defensive zone, offensive zone, you know, however you want to split it up. I don't necessarily think they need to break it down first, second, third pair. But I think that just speaks to uh, the growth and, and the depth that they've created on that back end. So have you changed your opinion, kept your opinion? Do you think they don't need a defenseman? Basically, with what you're saying, you've got three pretty good pairs. Like, Do you think that so, eliminates the need? So here's what I think my my ultimate, well, I guess is my opinion could change here. Do they need a defenseman? No. But could they upgrade on one of the guys that they currently have? Yes, I believe they could do that. Um, like if they included a package, you know, a Sandine or a Lilligren in one of these packages to upgrade on those guys and get a bona fide top four defenseman who has size. I mean, I think that would also benefit this team. That's where I'm at. I, I think it's interesting because they have these guys who've grown so much. Like, you go back to when Jake Muzzin, they announced that he was going to be out, 
I mean, more or less the rest of the season. Like they oh. said, obviously that he'll be reevaluated. Five alarm fire bells were off. They were like, oh my god, this. Team- and I think justifiably so. Like he is that important to what they yeah. do. And one of the things that Kyle Dubas said at, at that press conference when he when he talked about Muzzin's absence and how long he's going to be out and everything like that was, now we're going to see if Sandine and Lilligren can elevate. That was the elevate was the word he used, and I like that word because it's like, can they elevate with more minutes, more difficult minutes? And then part two of what he said was. Is that going to be enough to get us to where we want to go? Like, if they do elevate, is that enough? And I think that's always been the most interesting question for me is, like, even if those guys do what they've done, which is is really elevate in, in more difficult minutes, play more in harder minutes, is that going to be enough to translate into the playoffs? And I still think the answer is probably no. Like, I think if you can get one more guy, like you're mentioning, who can come in and be, like, a lockdown kind of defender in your top four who plays a little bit differently than some of the guys that they have, maybe a little brawnier, a little heavier, a little more like Muzzin. I I still think if you can get that guy, you need to get that guy because like we've seen the playoffs are different, man. Like they're just like a different animal. And I think I understand there's this idea out there that they don't need a defenseman. Like look at the, look at the way they're defending now, but the regular season is just not the same. It's different. It's different. And so that's that's why I wouldn't be surprised if, in spite of everything we've seen, that they still add someone else. Yeah, I I, I want to pick up on this because there are some names out there that I think we could maybe chat about uh, on the other side, but also someone internally who I think has some upside that maybe we can get to also on the other side. Uh, we have Scott Wheeler who's going to join us in the next hour as well. We'll get into the World Junior Championships with him. Canada playing Germany tonight, trying to get back on the rails after a tough game against Czechia on Boxing Day. You can listen to that game right here on TSN 1050. I'm Mike DiStefano with Jonas Siegel of The Athletic. You listen to Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050. This is Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. Mike DiStefano, no Julia to Sherry for the rest of the week. Also next week as well, as she's out on uh, the World Juniors Beach. She's out in Halifax, and Canada's got a game tonight. They'll be taking on Germany, and uh, you can listen to that right here on TSN 1050. Uh, joined by Jonas Siegel of The Athletic in place of Julia to Sherry. And Jonas, we were just talking about you know the, the team's group defensively and, and how they've really elevated their play you know everybody from justin hall to mark giordano the two swedish kids and lilligren and sandine to the point where there's been a a big conversation within leafs nation of whether or not this team needs to to add a blue liner and you know i think without putting words in your mouth you could tell me or not i think we decided in the last segment we both think that it wouldn't it, it, it would wouldn't hurt to add a blue liner but not add one but to upgrade on what they already have um, is there a name out there that you've kind of been poking around and seeing that you think could work for what this team needs? So I am early in that work. I have like a little yeah. doc going, a Google doc. The one guy so far that I, I think would make a lot of sense and it would have some implications just be based on he's a lefty is Gavrikov and, and Columbus. Obviously, okay. they have another 
right D, Andrew Peak, who's like, who's young and signed long term. So I, I I don't see that maybe for Columbus, but I just think Gavrikov is big. Like he's six three, he's two twenty. He can play the kind of minutes that I think we're talking about here. Like you go into a playoff series, let's say against Tampa, which is the way it's shaping up, you would be comfortable having him and I don't know T.J. Brody or whoever, Justin Hall playing against Kucherov in point. Like I just think you need someone like that. He would kill penalties. He'd be someone on the ice defending a late lead. It would take some pressure, I think, off someone like Mark Giordano. You know, I, I still am not there yet with asking Giordano, who's 39, to play 22-plus minutes or whatever it is every other night in the playoffs against that kind of competition. So he's a guy who so far to me would make some sense and the thing is like a guy like that is going to cost you a lot like we saw yeah. Ben Chirac got a first round pick and they're in the same kind of boat yeah he's an interesting name that I've seen thrown around a little bit I do struggle with the lefty righty thing I I mean I know Jake Muzzin is the guy you're looking to replace and he was a left hand shot but at the same time I, I, I almost wonder if this team may be better finding a Morgan Riley partner and I've kind of had this thought for the last year and a bit now where if you find Morgan Riley a, a defensive right shot partner and then you can put Justin Hall and uh, on the right and then have his partner be TJ Brody and then you've got Giordano and whoever you want, whether it's mm-hmm. Sandine, maybe it's a Connor Timmins, maybe, you know, obviously Timothy Lilligren, or maybe use one of those pieces to upgrade for that right shot defenseman that we're looking for. And one that has always been on my radar, and, and I know, I think we've chatted about him before. I don't know if it was on the show or, or you know, off air. But, you know, Connor Murphy's an interesting player for me when it comes to, to the Maple Leafs. And, like, he's that big guy. Again, six foot four, 220 pounds, um, plays a heavy style game, plays defensively, block shots, hits people. You know, he's on Chicago, who probably will be willing to have some sort of fire sale at the end of the season with how their team is he's under contract for a few years and and we know that you know toronto likes to bring in people who are under contract so that they know exactly what their cap situation looks like um so he's a player who i've kind of always had an eye on who i think would might be a, a good fit next to morgan riley i don't have a problem with that i think the only thing you have to get into is you mentioned the contract like he signed three more years at 4.4 he's going to be 30 in march yeah. And I think when you're 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 trading for someone like that, the price is going to go up, right? Because you're not you're not trading for a rental, you're trading someone for someone who is under term. And so if I'm Chicago, I'm like, all right, what are you going to give us? You know what I mean? And so that's <laughs> yeah, where and, and hey, Columbus Columbus could be in the same boat. Columbus is going to be like, what are you going to give us? Like Ben Chirac got a first round pick, you're going to give us a first round pick for Kavrikov? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I think that's where it get, starts to get interesting in terms of, like, positional need for this team is, like, where do you want to spend your best stuff? Because, like, they don't have a lot of stuff. Like, they don't have a lot of great stuff that they can trade. They have some prospects. They've, you know, they got their first-round pick next year. I don't know. Like, if it's if it's costing you, what's it going to cost for Connor Murphy? You know what I mean? Like, a guy who signed long-term, big, right shot D. Like, he's humongous. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm. The way that we're talking about this is, I would assume one of those younger defensemen will be included in this deal, right? Like, okay. if you're looking to upgrade on those guys, you know, how much would you have to add on top of a, let's say, Rasmus Sandin? I'm not sure you would. Like, he's a guy who would be under control. He signed through next year as well. You know, like I think that that's somebody who might be able to 
pretty much level up the value about what Chicago will be looking for. Like, I don't think Murphy's in their long-term plans. Like, by the time that team is competitive, Murphy's long gone. You know, like, that's going to be a long rebuild. Whereas, you know, Rasmus Sandin, who's 22, 23 years old, you know, I feel like he's at, at a point in his career where he can wait out that four years or so before that team might be playoff competitive, and he would be in his prime at that point and be, you know, a top-four defenseman for, for that club. See, so I think that's an interesting conversation. Like, do you want to trade one of your young D who still hasn't, like, gotten to what they're going to be in the NHL, yeah. right? Like, Rasmus Sandin, I think, is 22. Um, or would you rather trade a bit, a bit less and take someone who's not under contract? Like, I think it's a really interesting conversation. You would be comfortable trading one of those young defensemen? Well, I think if you're trading for a defenseman, like, think about the way that you have to trade one of those guys. I mean, Do you? Or, well, if you don't, who's on the outside looking in? Well, maybe they just don't play. So you would rather just have them sit there and not play? Like, you've got Connor Murphy, who's a player who... And the only argument I guess I could have is, is Justin Hall's not under contract next year either. So yep. that's where you... So you don't trade Lilligren because maybe Hall could... Or Lilligren could take that spot. Maybe Sandine could take that spot, I suppose. But maybe also a Connor Timmins could end up taking that spot. Like, there was a couple of instances in last night's game where Connor Timmins showed that size can help you. Like, I saw him boxing out Ryan O'Reilly a couple times and getting in some net front battles and winning a couple of battles with Ryan O'Reilly. He's a big dude, and those are the type of guys in the playoffs that you're going to have to go up against. So, like, I don't even necessarily, like, I'm not I'm not writing off Timmons as a piece that could help this team going forward. Maybe not this year, but he maybe is that Justin Hall replacement um, going forward as, as a guy who has a little bit of size who can play in his own end. Yeah, and the one thing that's that's nice about Timmons, actually not the one thing, a couple things that's nice besides the size, he's only 24, like he just yeah. turned 24 in September. He is going to be cheap. Like he is an RFA next summer. He doesn't have Arbrights. He's barely played in the NHL, so he doesn't have much of a case for much money. Like he is going to come cheap. And like you mentioned, to me that's like one of the questions with him besides can he stay healthy is like, can he play a little meaner than he is? Because I don't think that's like who he is. And you mentioned those instances last night; those stuck out because it's like, dude, yeah. like, you're a you're a big guy. Like he's six two, almost two hundred pounds or around two hundred pounds. If he can play like that, they got something. I think so. Like that that I don't know. I didn't understand that trade from an Arizona perspective. I mean, Curtis Douglas is not going to be an effective NHLer. There's possibilities that Connor Timmons can become an effective NHLer. That whole situation was weird. Like, how did not one other club, 30 other teams, give you something more than what Curtis Douglas could have offered your team? That whole situation was bizarre. That was a fleecing, an absolute fleecing by uh, by Kyle Dubas there. All right, we got to take a break, though, Jonas. Uh, we can get back into this conversation maybe in a little bit. Uh, but Scott Wheeler of The Athletic, one of your athletic compadres, Going to join us on the other side. We'll get into all things World Juniors. I'm Mike DiCefano with Jonas Siegel of The Athletic. You're listening to Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050.